1: Time!
0: Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only programme brought to you by RNZ Sport. I'm Matt Chatterton. New Zealand's newest Formula One driver Brendan Hartley says he's feeling relaxed ahead of what will be the biggest drive in his career. 27-year-old Hartley is about to fulfil a childhood dream of racing in the Formula One, and he lines up for Toro Rosso in this weekend's US Grand Prix in Austin. He'll be just the ninth New Zealand driver in Formula One and first in 33 years. He only got the call-up last weekend while driving the World Endurance Championship with Porsche. Hartley held his first media
2: conference today in Texas. This happened very quickly. Uh, I didn't know about it much sooner than the, the press did. So it's, it's been quite a whirlwind of a couple of weeks to 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 arrive here and yeah i'm pretty relaxed at the moment all things considered and really looking forward to getting out on track obviously i've had quite a bit of time to chat to the engineers and go through some data a little bit of time on the sim um but i'm looking forward to free practice one and see how comfortable i feel and working towards the the race start on sunday which is a big moment for me so yeah really excited what the team said to you about their expectations for this weekend and sort of longer term what may come after this weekend um, actually, there's been no expectations set, to be honest. Some of the team members I'm just meeting for the first time today and uh, yesterday during the seat fit, and I made the seat yesterday. <laughs> so, um, yeah, nothing's really been said yet. Obviously, I want to do the best that I can, and although I'm, I'm trying not to put too many expectations on it. Um, some ways, I'm underprepared. Obviously, I want to do yeah, the best job I can, but noth- yeah, nothing's been said by the team, and, uh, and also going forward, nothing's been said yet. Looking at this race or this track rather in two thousand thirteen, I go back to your, your event in the Grand Am Endurance race. How fitting is it to have this F one start here and how critical is it to come to a place where you have all this track time? Um yeah, it's definitely nice coming to my Formula One debut at a track I know very well. Like you say, it dates back to twenty thirteen and I've I think I've driven here almost every every year since. Um Actually, as a racing driver, learning a track is is uh, when you have enough experience, it can happen quite quickly. I think learning the car will be be the bigger challenge. Um, the big tires, the big downforce that these Formula One cars have at the moment, obviously they're setting lap records at every every track they go to. So, yeah, going to have a bit, a bit on my hands tomorrow, and I, I think that the tracks are only a small part of it. Um, but yeah, lo- looking looking forward to it.
3: Have you asked Sebastian Vettel or Mark Weber some advice uh, to drive a Formula One?
2: Um, yeah, I've obviously, all the, all the friends I have in the sport, I've been asking for a bit of advice. I saw Mark this morning for, for breakfast, and I saw, I saw Daniel, who's uh, one of my best buddies as well, Daniel Ricciardo, so he, I saw him two nights ago. I asked him all the advice I could, could manage to get out of him regarding tyres, and yeah. I mean, some of it's gonna come down to, like I say, driving free practice one, seeing how I go, and then, then asking some of those questions. A, l- a lot of them aren't really relevant until I've actually experienced, experienced the, the car.
0: Brendan, there's been a lot of expectation, speculation that you were headed to IndyCar next year. Um, does this weekend change your plans there? What's what's your future look like?
2: Um, yeah, no, nothing has been confirmed for me for next year. So, yeah, like I said before, I, I haven't asked too many questions and, and just have been trying to focus on doing the best I can this weekend because I've got a fair amount on my plate to, to figure out and, and uh, do a good job. So... I'm trying not to think further forward, but yeah, what was looking at IndyCar and, and, and still am, and um, nothing, nothing confirmed for next season yet.
0: Star All Black First Five, Bodum Barrett will sit out Saturday's third Bidderslow Cup clash against Australia due to concussion issues, opening the door for Lima Sopawanga to make just his second test start. Sopawanga's last start was in his debut two years ago against the Springboks. He's made 12 appearances since off the bench. He was to start in the All Blacks' test against Argentina in Buenos Aires, only to pull out of the squad due to the imminent birth of his daughter. Elsewhere, Hansen has stuck with his team for the dead rubber in Brisbane, deciding against giving any senior players a rest. Open side flanker Sam Kane will earn his 50th test cap. Hansen says he expects to face a desperate Wallabies team who have lost their 15th straight Bledisloe Cup match and not defeated the All Blacks for over two years. RNZ's rugby reporter Joe Porter joins me now. Joe, what can the All Blacks really get out of a game like this?
1: Well, the All Blacks are obviously wary of losing to a desperate Wallabies side, so Steve Hanson's picked the strongest team he possibly could. A few players missing through injury and player unavailability, but... He's picked the strongest side possible. He's obviously expecting a backlash from the Wallabies, who came very, very close to upsetting the All Blacks in Dunedin if it wasn't for a last gas bowden Barrett try. So the Wallabies will be thinking they got as close as they have in a while in Dunedin. They'll be thinking this is their best chance in Brisbane. Bidderslow Cup number three, which is a dead rubber. The All Blacks tend to drop their guard a little bit historically. So I think Michael Checker will be thinking this might be his best chance to get a win over the All Blacks in a very long time.
0: And the Wallabies, they've uh, had a bit of a mixed bag this uh, season in the Rugby Championship and during the June Tests, and they've also obviously had their troubles with Australian rugby and both Super Rugby with Western Force and Melbourne Rebels. What, What do you think they sort of want to prove this weekend?
1: I think they want to prove that they're not a mile behind the All Blacks when it comes to the World Rugby Rankings. They've come second in the Rugby Championship, Obviously, had a couple of tough draws against South Africa, some good wins over Argentina, and came very close to beating the All Blacks in Dunedin. I think that this Wallabies side is is the most confident they have been in a long time that they actually can foot it with the All Blacks if they play their best game. The All Blacks are missing a few key players. The Wallabies have been strong in Brisbane in the past. The All Blacks have played there three times in recent years, 1-1, and that was a last-minute conversion from the sideline to win it. They've drawn one and lost one, so the Wallabies have a good record, in the third Riverslow Cup match especially in Brisbane so I think they'll take a lot of confidence going into this and I think they'll be wanting to stamp a mark on the ground and say that the Wallabies are genuine contenders to the All Blacks throne.
0: Yeah given the uh, the injury toll that the All Blacks are under at the moment uh, and where they are playing in Brisbane this probably you would agree is the best chance the Wallabies have of actually getting that uh, win over the All Blacks. Uh, just moving forward a little bit, the uh, we have the end of year tour coming up. Uh, the All Black squad, and Māori All Black squad, will be named on Monday, confirming who are going up to the Northern Hemisphere. Uh, have you got any picks, Joe, for who possibly might be a bit of a bolter into the squad?
1: Yeah, it's going to be an interesting one, isn't it? Because Steve Hansen has said they're not going to take any apprentices on tour. So everyone that does go, you'd assume would make their debut and play in some game or at some point. So, uh, yeah, Richie Moranga called into the All Black squad this week uh, to cover Bowden Barrett at first five. He hasn't made the match day 23 for the low However, they've kept him there and sent Bowden home. So that would suggest that he's not far away from being given a shot at the number 10 jersey. Um, at fullback, David Havili will likely get a shot as well with Geordie Barrett being out for the rest of the season, he's probably likely to continue his um, early uh, I guess induction into the All Blacks environment that happened at, um, during this Rugby Championship. The Wellington hooker, Asafo Al Moore, the uh, under-20s hooker player a year ago, has, has been in some absolutely barnstorming form for the Wellington Lions in the domestic rugby competition, so he's another one that could potentially bolt in. Matt Duffy, the outside back, who plays for the Blues, he's also been in some pretty good NPC form, so he could find his way, and Wes Houston from the Lions, again, another outside back who's been in the All Blacks camp a bit this year, and there's another outside back that kept Julian Savier out of the Hurricanes team this year that I think the All Blacks had their eye on, so a few names that could potentially bolt into that squad.
0: You mentioned Julian Savia there. Is there room for him back in the, in the All Black squad?
1: Yeah, well, that's another interesting point as well. A lot of people tend to move on, but has he done enough during the NPC, which has been strong, to fight his way back in? Of course, normal Scudder's out, so there is room for an extra outside back. Do they go with Savia, who's tried and true, or have the All Blacks moved on if he isn't picked? And a young bolter does go. You suggest that his chances of making the 2019 World Cup are done and dusted.
0: RNZ's rugby reporter, Joe Porter, thank you for joining me. It's been a busy week for New Zealand football with tickets for the FIFA World Cup Intercontinental Playoff match between the All-Whites and Peru in Wellington next month going on sale. Here to tell us all about it is our football reporter Clay Wilson. Clay, first up, 20,000 tickets. Over half the stadium went in an hour in pre-sale earlier this week with the remaining seats going on sale today. Uh, I guess that goes to
3: show that New Zealand's really getting behind the All-Whites, aren't they? Yeah, great news for New Zealand football. I think perhaps a few people weren't quite sure exactly how they were going to go. Uh, there was a lot of talk about the pricing of the tickets, but they went out on pre-sale on, uh, on Tuesday, obviously, and I think 20000 in the first hour um, as we stand now Um just a few thousand up for grabs. So I think 38,000 capacity there and just a few thousand when it went uh, off pre-sale and to the general public today. So a great response and it just goes to show that uh, New Zealand football got it right with the prices Mm -hmm. and also goes to show how much this game means to New Zealanders and football fans in this country.
0: Yeah, I'm um, really hoping that we get to see some similar scenes to Bahrain. I mean, obviously, it's not quite the same uh, dynamic that it's not the second leg, but you know, it would still be great to see a very, uh, very vocal crowd at Wellington Stadium. Now, speaking of vocal crowds, we've also heard from uh, Andy Martin, CEO of uh, New Zealand Football, saying that he wants New Zealand to be a hostile environment for
3: Peru. Is that the right move? There's been a lot of controversy about this one this week. Uh, he came out quite strongly uh, when it, we learned that it was going to be Peru um, and talking about this game, asking the New Zealand fans to really get stuck in, I guess, in a way and turn up the heat for on Peru and not make it difficult for them, saying they're coming here to take our spot. Um, that hasn't gone down well with all New Zealand football fans and it certainly hasn't gone down <laughs> well in Peru. Um, yeah, there have been scenes of... Uh, um, Peru is showing what they've done in their previous World Cup games, uh, skyrockets outside opposition teams' hotels, keeping them up, that sort of thing. Um, so I think it's a bit of, uh, you know, you'll get treated as we get treated type thing, especially given the first games here in New Zealand. So it will be interesting to see how that plays out, how New Zealand fans treat the Peruvian team and, and their delegation. Um, I think we'll probably end up seeing that the majority of fans will just be be like Kiwis and, yeah. and, and be nice. But um, I can sort of understand where Andy Martin's come, come from in a way. It's sort of a lose-lose comment. Um, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, it what? It's, God it's, it's, um, the South Americans obviously are full of passion, so I'm sure the All Whites are going to get a bit of their own back when they go to, go to Lima.
0: Now, just taking a look at, uh, I guess, a uh, bit of the team news, uh, we've got some unfortunate news for All Whites fans that, Andrew Durante will not be participating. He's got pulled up an injury uh, while playing for the Phoenix in the new A League season. Now, what what's happened there, mate?
3: Yeah, there's a bit of talk around in media circles that uh, Durante went to the Confederations Cup in June with a sports hernia, um, a bit of an injury, and that perhaps has brought this on. Uh, what actually happened is he came off late in the Phoenix's, uh game on Sunday night. They lost three-two to defending champions Sydney in Sydney. A uh, great game and probably unlucky not to. Not to uh, come up with a point there at least but uh, anyhow Durante went off and uh, it's turned out, uh, diagnosed yesterday, that he has a uh, groin adductor injury. Uh, eight to ten weeks is the expected timeline mm. for recovery which obviously with the playoff only uh, two and a half, three weeks away rules him, rules him out of those games. Uh, a a sizable blow but perhaps not uh, someone who would have been in the starting 11 if everyone's available. Winston Reid. Yeah, um, yeah, of course. Uh, all Whites fans touching wood and crossing fingers that he won't will get injured in the next couple of weeks <laughs> for West Ham. <laughs> He's just terrible luck, isn't he? He'll be available. Yeah, yeah. Tommy Smith uh, is coming back from injury, but is, um, is set to play for Ipswich, I think, this weekend. Uh, so he will be in there. And then Michael Boxer has been the other fairly regular uh, player in that back three. So Durante, while he has, I think he started in 12 the last. or. White's fourteen games. Uh, that's been uh, with the backdrop of Winston Reid yeah, largely not course. being there. Yeah. So although uh, I think they will miss his experience in the squad, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he was even involved with the squad for the New Zealand League. Oh, well, it's Hudson, isn't it? Hudson had, had him around. Um, he's very good with young players, given his age thirty five now, a lot of experience. So it is a blow for the All Whites. Um, but when you look at the starting 11s, um, if As long as no-one else gets injured, um, he probably wouldn't have been in the team anyway. So that's, I guess, on the upside for for Hudson and the all Whites crew.
0: Thank you, Clay. That's Clay Wilson, RNZ's football reporter. The Silver Ferns capped off their disappointing Constellation Cup series against Australia with their worst loss of the competition, a 16-goal drubbing in Sydney on the weekend. New Zealand lost all four matches, progressively getting worse with every game. With the Gold Coast Commonwealth Games just six months away, it leaves coach Janine Southby little time to find some answers. Joining me now is RNZ's netball reporter Bridget Tunnicliffe. Bridget, what did you make of the series?
4: I was extremely disappointed, really, with the whole series. I think everyone was looking forward to it after that um, quad series result against the Australians, beating them by 10, um, but I think I think it goes to show in that quad series game the Australians did play pretty poorly and I, I, no one really expected them to play like that again. But they really went away did their homework, came back, they were determined, they were far much, far stronger. Um, I think the other really disappointing aspect for New Zealand is that we basically got worse with every game. E- each um, each line you know got a bit wider with every game and. We were repeating a lot of the same mistakes, especially just with our basic passing on attack, just passing to our to teammates. Um, some of the passes were, were really shocking. Um, yeah, I think um, yeah the, the series is extremely disappointing. And in a lot of ways, it raised more questions. Uh, Janine Southby would have been wanting that, to answer some questions for her about certain players. But in, in many ways, it probably threw up more questions.
0: Where does this leave them moving forward? Uh, we've got the Commonwealth Games next year in April on the Gold Coast, uh, which has been obviously a major talking point already. W- what what now for the Silver Ferns? Um, well,
4: they, uh, they do have a, they, the Quad Series return leg in January next year where they play South Africa, England and Australia. So they do get one more game against Australia before the Com Games. Um, i wouldn't be surprised if Janine Southby considers bringing Grace Rasmussen back in at the 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 wing attack um she's pretty experienced in that area, and that was a um a concern for us over the constellation Cup. Gina Cram does a good wing attack, but um the same with Rasmussen is she I think she just takes more control down there and she changes up the pace and that was one of the the concerns in the Constellation Cup, so she might look at bringing her back um the other Um, The other thing is she might look to try and get Sam Sinclair up to speed in that centre position. I mean, there's hardly any time left, but she's going to do it. She needs to do it now because Shannon Francois just struggled a little bit in that position. It's such an important position, transitioning from defence to attack. That was a major problem for us. And Sam Sinclair um, gave it a really good go when she got some court time. So, yeah, I'd like to see her um, invest time in trying to develop Sam Sinclair there. And I I do wonder about Katrina Grant sometimes, even, you know, she's the captain, but she does sometimes struggle uh, at goal defence defending the Australian type of goal attack. Um, There is Michaela Sokolich beats him from the Mystics that she may consider having a look at. It'd be a pretty big call because she's pretty young and there's not much time left, but it might be worth looking at her.
0: Finally, uh, we've seen a report out this week that there is possibly the chance that, Netball New Zealand made turn to Nolene Tauru, who, of course, uh, was turned away from the Silver Ferns job a couple of years ago and now applies her trade in Australia. What what have you made of that? Do you think that is a, is a, a viable option?
4: Uh, well, from the story that I saw, uh, the reporter asked Jenny Wiley, the CEO of Netball New Zealand, whether they would consider calling on Nolene Tauru as maybe a specialist coach just to... Um, Now come along to a few coaching sessions type thing. Um, and Jenny Wiley didn't, certainly didn't rule it out. She said it's something they would consider along with maybe other coaches. Um, yeah, I think I would be surprised if they did that because imagine if you're Janine Southby, you won the job, you won the job over Nolan Tara a couple of years ago and now the Netball New Zealand want to bring her in to help you, I just think that would feel a little patronising from Janine Southby's point of view. Um, I don't think I would like it. So I don't know if that's a goer.
0: Thank you, Bridget. That is Bridget Tunnicliffe, RNZ's Netball Reporter. The New Zealand Rugby League side have their backs to the wall as the start of the World Cup looms next week. The Kiwi's name has taken a hit in recent months, most lately with the last-minute defection of several players to the Tongan squad, including superstar North Queensland Cowboys back rower Jason Taumalolo. In a bid to help motivate the New Zealand squad, several Kiwi's legends were invited into their pre-tournament camp in Nauruwahia this week and uncompromising forward in his playing days. Kevin Tamati was one of those legends and he told Clay Wilson he still believed the Kiwis were capable of World Cup success.
5: I'm a strong believer in giving uh, players who want to play for you the opportunity to prove themselves and I think that now um, they have got their squad and the young fellows who have come in to the squad Can now start believing that they have um, the opportunity to prove themselves that they belong there and prove to their families and the opposition that they belong there.
3: Obviously a a lot was made of the likes of Tomololo and the others that went with him to go and play for the likes of Tonga, what did you make of, of that, given it especially it was such a late switch?
5: That's what really annoyed me, is how late um, they were in informing. It is what it is, and his, um, his choice, or their choice, has given the opportunity to others. Now it's up to those others to prove that they deserve that opportunity.
3: Did it leave a bit of a bad taste, the The way things went down and the, the way the Kiwis named, I guess, got dragged through the, through the mud a little bit with all that stuff that went on?
5: Yeah, it, it did. But if you worry about the negatives, you never see the positives. Mm. And so you, you take it as it is and just get on with what you've got to do. All the Kiwis have to do is worry about the job that they have in front of them and to prove that those... Guys who have decided to jump ship. That's it. Well done. Get on with it. Get on with the job that you got to do.
3: What would you say are the are the keys to success? Given they've lost these players, you know the likes of Kieran, isn't around as well. Outside of. Obviously they're gonna, these young guys that are coming in are going to be very motivated to do well because it's an opportunity they might not have otherwise had. But outside of that, with a, with a group that's quite young and perhaps inexperienced, what would you say are the keys to them being successful ultimately lifting the trophy?
5: Ultimately playing together, playing for each other, uh, wanting to die for each other, wanting to die for the cause. And because they have the opportunity to do that at home in front of their own people, it just makes the pressure on them so much more demanding.
3: What are your expectations of the team? If you are to look at it really bluntly and objectively, can they go all the way? Can they knock over the others, I guess likely Australia, to
5: win the title? Looking looking at the team on paper, there is enough experience in the side. There is enough... Um, Maturity. They've got players who have won championships. They've got players who are born leaders. I think that they, given that they stick together and play together and represent, again, represents the colours, the country. Um, yeah, I believe that they have got a very good chance to... Um, to win the championship.
0: Kiwis legend Kevin Tamati talking to Clay Wilson there. That's extra time for this week. Your feedback is always welcome via Twitter at rnzsport or our email sport at radionz.co.nz. I'm Matt Chatterton. Catch you next week.